Edgar. Hello, Gregoire. Hi. How are you doing? Doing pretty well, thank you. How are things with you? I'm good, thank you. What are we going to talk about today? I think we have a guest speaker. Yes, today Tineel Blair-Neff comes back and we are going to discuss again how to start one's own practice, but this time around on a very concrete basis, mm -hmm. meaning we are going to go into very tedious details around how you establish physically your office, mm -hmm. choices you make, mm -hmm. desk, chair, cushions, art, everything. I have to say it stems from a request or a suggestion mm -hmm. from someone who listened to us, pointed out that this was missing. So we agreed. In a way, we were focusing more on the on fantasy <laughs> <laughs> and so this is this is more concrete. The hard truth. This is the hard, <laughs> the hard reality. It's a reality of to buy things, you need to pay for other services and license and insurance, so on and so forth. So we're talking about those things with Tenil. We are going to mention some prices, some fees, and they will be. Of course, they might sound completely outdated for someone who will not listen to the podcast right away. Mm -hmm. But as we will mention during the podcast, it is just to give a sense. And also you will notice the differences in terms of our private practices in New York City, Gregoire and myself, and Tenille, who is in Missouri, in the United States. Another change in this podcast is going to be some inserts, because... We were kind of rushed. Uh, we actually had a lot more to say than we thought we would. So I took the liberty to include some inserts of comments that we had prepared, but we forgot to uh, bring up during the discussion. Yeah. So all in all, we trust that we are giving a fair picture of the things that we need to take in consideration when we open an office. And if you think about other things, please let us know. Comments in uh, our Facebook forum, Twitter, directly on SoundCloud. You can write to us and we can mention it in a future podcast. This is Edgar Francisco Danielsen. And this is Grégoire Pierre. Welcome to Discussions on Psychoanalysis. So this time around, we are going to talk about how to open one on practice from a very practical point of view. Before anything, I want to remind people that they have to get an NIP number, which is a National Provider Identification Number. You can go online. It's free. I will try to remember to put the link on the Facebook group. And you will receive it, your number, you will receive it by email, and it usually takes no more than five minutes. And you have to do that 
to charge your patient. Okay, now let's start. What do you need practically? Tenil, what do you think? You just got your license, you want to do something? Well, national provider ID number. You need an office space or in this day and age, a Zoom account, something HIPAA compliant if you're doing online. Okay, so let's start there. An office. Any kind of consideration about offices? You know, for me, I considered, is it handicap accessible? I mean, I'm in Missouri, so in -hmm. New York, it's different. Is it handicap accessible? Is there a parking? Is it an adequate amount of space? Is there a waiting room? Is there access to a bathroom? You know, kind of real practical stuff. Do I like the location? Is the cost right? That's the key. (laughs) That's the real key. Where you practice. The question of with or without window is not a question people ask. You know, there are a lot of office spaces that don't have windows, believe it or not. With or without a window is is a question, especially if you're a private practitioner, because you can go with an office inside a big corporate sort of space, or you can get a private office like I have, which is its own entity, which you don't have that option in New York, where you can just get like a private office that's its own building. So we are going to bring up prices. Of course, it's going to be connected to when we record the podcast for people who listen to us in a few years. Prices might be very different, but it's just going to give you an order of ideas. So in New York, with or without window is a big question. I don't think we uh, wonder whether people have parking. Most offices are probably uh, handicap accessible, but that's a good question. So about prices, if you don't have a window in New York, it would be probably today around 1300s. What's your take, Edgar, about that? I think that's a little bit low. You may find something at 1300 without a window, but it, of course, it depends on the square footage. Yeah. And that's the other thing about New York City. Everywhere now in the times of COVID, do you have enough space to have some distance from your patients? And that, of course, requires you to have either windows and cross-ventilation and or enough distance between you and your patients, which we continue to say six feet. Do we? Because now that it's airborne. Well, we're doomed anyway. But, uh, so, <laughs> yeah, but, I feel like but, <laughs> now with Omicron, whether it's uh, you're far, you're near, it's, it's over anyway. That's, uh, yeah, we're doomed. But 1300 I think that would be on the lowest end. Yeah, you're right. It, I think I, I remember that price from our friend Peter, who had a mm-hmm. very small office on the floor. And it was, I think, 1200 Correct. No windows. How much was yours, th- the first one, without a window? Without windows, 1400-something. Yeah. And with a window? Then I had a small office with one window, and that mm-hmm. was 1900 Now I have five windows. And it's a large space, it's 264 square feet, and it's 2,400. And so, Tenille? <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys. So how so, many offices could you rent with that? <laughs> oh, yeah, a lot. You could own a huge commercial space for that. Um, yeah, like here, depending on where you get it, how the size, but like my office space, I pay 400 a month for mine. Mm, wow. And it's huge. It's huge. But there are other office spaces that are pricey. So I could say you could pay up to 1000 you know, from 250 to 1000 
because I was paying $250 a month when I first moved here for a office space without a window inside of a corporate building. $250. Cost of practice here is significantly lower. I'm guessing it's also connected to how much people can pay you. Yeah, financially, people just don't make as much money. And my fee is not near what it it was in in New York. You know, I Mm -hmm. had to lower it substantially to work here. But I don't need as much money to survive here Mm -hmm. because the cost of living is so low. So when we talk about an office, there are some considerations we should have in terms of the size. Because if you consider that you're only going to work on -on one-on-one, You might not need a big space, but if you consider that you might work with kids or with groups, then you should consider a bigger space. Oh, yes. And that will impact your budget. Yeah. When I started working privately, I sublet from a colleague who was a children's psychologist. And the space, is, it was very spacious, but almost nothing in the middle. No tables. And there were, of course, a space to put the toys and things that the kids would use. So if you're working with children, you need a much larger space. I would recommend if you're working with couples that you need a loft seat and another chair in case members of a couple don't want to sit together, which is not unusual. In case, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If they come to see you, they might not want to sit next to, sit next to each other. To each other. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, so, yeah. You should think about whether or not the office provides internet, the question of the kitchen. Also, is there a private bathroom for clinicians? Mm-hmm. On my floors, there's one, and I find it very practical. Something that also is interesting in terms of how the politics of identity might be different here and in other places in the United States or elsewhere is that, for example, some of my patients prefer to have a gender-neutral restroom. And the office I had where Glegoir is located right now, the suite has gender-neutral restrooms. Mm -hmm. While in this suite I am located right now, they are gendered, so men, women. That's something to consider in terms of the demographic of the people you see and how that may impact or not your patients. And about... Renting an office, there's a question of part-time or Mm full-time. Edgar, do you want to remind us quickly of your experience with that? Yes. When I started my practice, I thought, let me just sublet from someone else for a day and a half. And it took me just a few weeks to realize that I was not going to grow my practice because day and a half, that amount of hours is not enough for the demand that you may have. It saves you money, but doesn't. It saves might money. prevent you from growing. From growing. So what I did, I started with one and a half day. Then I realized this is not gonna work, and I sublet from another colleague. That would be Gregoire. I sublet yep. from Gregoire. Yours truly. And so I, now I have two and a half days, and that was not enough. And so I realized, of course, I'm saving a little bit of money, but I am. I don't have the potential for makeup sessions. And for organizing my schedule in a way that would be more, you know, I would take care of my well-being as well. 
after a few months, I jumped into a full-time office. Now that we're talking about it, I remember also that at the beginning, you had a job on the side, right? Correct. So the question of part-time, full-time is also dependent on whether or not you think your clinical practice is going to be your full-time job. Yes. In my case, I realized in, in a few months, I was able to leave my other job so I could develop my full-time practice as a psychoanalyst. Of course, that is New York City. It might be different in other places. And that was my particular experience. So I moved from part-time office, part-time practice to a full-time office, full-time practice in probably, I would say, maybe seven months. Let's just add that situation may be slightly different if you are out of network because fewer people are going to reach out to you right away because they will not have the incentive to pay very low fee sessions and they also you don't have the support of the insurance to advertise for your practice. After the office, I guess the first thing we can think about is the professional chair. I started with an IKEA chair, I think around 300, black one, and it was good for a few years. And I mean, when I was able to come back to my office, when COVID was not as dangerous, I decided to invest in a more expensive chair, which is about $1,200. It's a steel case chair. It made a big difference. I feel like my back is more supported and my legs are more supported, but it's an investment. What were your experiences, guys? I bought a cheap IKEA chair. I have never upgraded it. I still have oh. it. I've been in private practice for 10 years, <laughs> but I love it. So, um, but one of these you, days... You, your back doesn't hurt. It does now because I am sitting in my desk chair more because of the Zoom meetings because of COVID. Oh, so you have two chairs. Yeah, I have this chair, which is at my desk, which I'm sitting in now as I'm talking to you. And then I have the beloved IKEA chair, which you can see there. Oh, <laughs> I see. Very podcasty. Yes. <laughs> but I think I paid probably about two or $300 for that chair when I first bought it. And you have a big office, so... Yeah, I have a desk area that has my, you know, that I do my notes and stuff. And then I have a, like a seating area where I do my sessions. So they're kind of separate. In my case, I began with a um, chair that looked very nice, but it was not very supportive of my back and uh, moved quickly to a more supportive chair, $300, $400, I think, $400 around that. Now I have two chairs. One is the one I use, Astenil, I use for my Zoom sessions in front of my desk. I have two chairs that are identical. One is for me and the other is for the patient. And they are across from each other. It's about 10 feet apart. So you decided to have a, your chair and your patient's chair are the same? Are the same, yeah. Tell us about your reasoning. Well, the reasoning is that I wanted to make a distinction between the work I do in my desk and the work I do with my patients. So, in fact, some patients have pointed out the symmetry of the furniture. It's not that consciously I was looking for symmetry. It worked out that way unconsciously. Clearly, there's something going on there. Definitely, I wanted a separate space for my computer, my desk, and the space that I use to engage in conversations in person with my patient. So the reasoning behind was that separate somehow within the office, which is a large space, to separate the two things. 
And the chair for my desk is uh, it's very supportive. And the other furniture I got for the office are, uh, just to put it in a very simple way, I paid a lot of money so that they are good chairs and comfortable for me, for my patients. How much are we talking about? I don't know. It was probably six, five hundred each share. There are two of those, and there is a couch also in the office. All those expenses can be uh, declared as professional expenses. Correct. Yes. It's interesting that what you said about the chair for the patient, because I actually had different opinion. Mm -hmm. At first, I thought about it, but consciously, should I have the same kind of chair so that there's some mm -hmm. sense of equality? And then I went against it because I thought that my patients are going to sit on the chair for 45 minutes in a row while I'm going to be sitting there for the whole day, every day of the week. Mm -hmm. So it was my reasoning mm -hmm. to buy a more expensive chair for myself. Well, I'm switching from my executive chair to the analyst chair because I have patients online and patients in person. So, so I'm switching from one to the other. I spent money for chairs, both the executive and the others, that are very supportive of my body. There's one thing that we forgot to mention. You might also be able to move your chair from one place to another, just like I do. What about you, Tineal? How did you think about that? Actually, like listening to Edgar's having the two of the same chair, a chair for you and a chair for your patients that are equal. I love that. Like, I love that in theory. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think about that when I started my practice because I guess I've always seen every analyst office I've ever been in, mm -hmm. the analyst has their specific chair and then they have the seating area for their patients. So mm -hmm. it didn't occur to me to do it that way, but I love it. I love that idea. But I definitely went for a chair that I thought I could sit in all day that was comfortable and supportive for you or for your patients for me but i did also choose comfortable furniture for my patients too it's a lot more soft like the furniture i chose for the patients it's more like you can kind of sink down into it mm -hmm. and get real comfortable but if you were sitting in it all day you'd probably be miserable mm -hmm. but for the 50 minutes you're in my office you're reasonably comfortable you can lay down you're you know, you're supported, you're comfortable. But I think all day long, it would have been really hard to sit on the furniture I chose for the patients because I was thinking about soft and cozy and my back responds to firm, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I see. I need something firm that supports my lower back. When I was looking for a chair for my patients, I went to Ikea and I remember that you have a choice between a few different kind of chairs and I consciously felt the need to buy what would look the more expensive. I think coming from a sense of guilt, knowing that I wouldn't spend not as much on their chairs on mine, but I still wanted to look fancy. But then I tried them closing my eyes, not knowing the price. And I actually ended up choosing the cheapest one that mm. I found with a blind test to be the most comfortable. So I want to advise people to try it that way also. They might have a different taste than mine, but it's not because it's expensive and it looks fancy that it will actually be comfortable. I didn't try them before. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I ordered online, you know, you, uh -huh. you're mentioning Ikea, I ordered yeah. from Joybird mm -hmm. and 
I didn't try them. And then when they arrived, I thought, oh my goodness, these are huge <laughs> chairs. They are large, a lot of space. The patient can bring their feet on the chair. They are comfy. But you had a big office, so it didn't matter that it was no, too it big. No, it didn't matter, but I, but, I was other sur- people. but I was surprised. So measure, if you are not looking at or, te- or sitting in the chairs in a showroom, if you're buying online, take the measurements, measure your office, make sure that you are not buying something that is too small or too large. Mine, in the end, for my office, the amount of space that I have, these chairs are just fine. They're absolutely fine. Uh, But I was surprised when I saw them coming out of the elevator. I would say something more about the chairs. I put an extended warranty so that if someone drops, spills coffee, that can be handled by the company and not by me. I was looking at this furniture as investment, and I trust that they will stand the test of time and if I need to move to another office they will go with me so I also added a a warranty that will keep my costs low in case I need to do repairs or somehow clean them professionally we should really think in the long run for people who are listening to the podcast on uh, chronologically they listened to us talking about climate change just a month ago so for the little drop that it would be yeah, we should try to not over-consume those kind of goods. We forgot to mention the stressless chairs. They can be very expensive, at least $2,000, up to, I think, 5000 They come directly from Europe. They can be very comfortable. I tried them in a store in New York, and I found that they did not match my body type, in the sense that they were not supporting my legs enough. And um, yeah, stress test yours. Then you need a desk. The desk, I'm guessing it should fit the size of your office. I don't know if there's a lot to say about it. You know, I bought my desk when I was in New York and I had a very small office. So I bought a very small desk, but I still use it here and I have a lot more space. So it works. I moved from a small office. I had a very small desk, very, very small desk, one of those desks that go in a quarter. And, you know, it would save a lot of space for me and my patients. I moved into the larger office and I got a desk I had at home, in fact. And it's larger and it's heavier. It's good. I have many things on top of my desk, meaning including my iMac and, uh, you know, a lamp and other things, the phone, etc. Yeah. And you need to know if you want a desk with storage or not. You want to decide if you want drawers or not. But I guess that's, that's about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As an analyst, you also need a couch. Mm-hmm. So how did you guys decide on the couch you wanted to buy? The first couch, when I first opened my office, I bought a chaise lounge couch, like Freud had. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, and I think partly because I had this idea in my mind of, you know, I'm starting an analytic practice. Let me get a chaise lounge. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, that was in my mind. But also, I had a super small space, and it was the only thing that would really fit. Now it's in my waiting room, that couch. <laughs> And now I have a really nice full couch and love seat set and I spent, you know, more money on it. Like I can't remember exactly how much, but 
you know, probably around two grand, something like that. I don't know. Two grand, two thousand? Yeah. But I don't know if the cost of furniture is the same here as it is there. But, you know, I went into a shop, I sat on it, I rolled around, I, you know, I felt the fabric to make sure like if it spills, I made sure it was stain resistant. Like, <laughs> um, So I have a couch and a love seat. And you can lay on my couch or you can sit on my couch, whatever you prefer. Originally, I had a full leather couch. That was not expensive for full leather. It was $500. And the couch, it could go from completely flat to something that may look like a love seat. Now, when I moved into this new office, I moved into a completely different style. So leather didn't look good. And I have a thing, if it doesn't look good with the other things, I so I left it behind. And I, again, from Joybird, I got what is sold as a day bed, but it works like a couch for me and for my patients. Yeah, it was 1600 For, for the desk, we didn't mention prices, but um, when we prepared the podcast, we were around 300 400 400 yeah. If people want to know what my couch is, they have to look at the podcast picture. That's oh, my yes, couch. Oh, yes, that's true. That's your picture. couch yeah, on yeah. the picture. It's a very low-budget podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I took the picture of my couch. <laughs> look, it's an 800 couch. It doesn't look that fancy, but I really liked it. I tried it. Actually, it was at NPAP. It was in the administration office. And they didn't know what to do with it. People were complaining about it. I really, I tried once and I didn't understand why people would complain. They were so much better <laughs> than the one we were using downstairs. And so, yeah, I bought one for myself. And 800, but yeah, it can go much higher depending on the style you want. You may want to keep in mind that people will lie down on the couch and Therefore, their feet will be on the couch. Mm -hmm. So you you may want to buy something that will protect the. Yeah, you want some couch. kind of little rug. A little the, rug the at the end, at the feet of the of the couch to protect mm -hmm. the couch. Yeah. About the couch, one thing is I, I remember now is that at some point I was wondering if I would actually not buy a couch, but um, those very uh, very nice chair from a French architect. I can't remember the name. The name of the architect was Le Corbusier. You will find chairs uh, that he made. The, the design is very well known. Le Corbusier. And actually I decided to go against it because the couch is or will might be used for someone to sit on. If you take a chair that's very fancy and very nice to lie down on, but you can sit on it, it's also a loss in terms of space, and it's less practical. I think people should consider that. Also, one really quick thing. I did have, at one point, an interim couch that was made out of, like, a faux leather. A lot of people hated it because in the summer, they would sit on it with their shorts, and it would, ah, you know, yes. you know, your flesh sticks to it, and it make a, yeah. you know, like a, a noise. <laughs> so... Um, I was really conscious not to buy one of those again. So just so you know, think about your patience in shorts sitting on it. That's so true. That's so true. So you need pillows, at least one. I would advise for uh, one for the for patient's head and a large one 
uh, if your catch is on against the wall, when people want to sit on it, if you have groups or a couple. I guess you need rugs, or at least a rug. I bought mine on Wayfair and was so happy because it was 70% discount. And as we were preparing the podcast, I went back to check on the price and it was still 70% discount. <laughs> so, you know, it's those kind of things. <laughs> you don't know what the real price is. <laughs> but you should think about something around 300, more or less. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you need shelves, I guess, to put your books on. Mm-hmm. We estimated that it was about 150. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have shelves, but they have doors. So now they were already installed in this office. So I was lucky. Well, I pay for this, but I'm paying for it. Yeah. <laughs> you As, keep paying for them every month. Yeah, so it's not about luck. It's a, it was good for the price. There are many different kind of shelves, and well, that, that's really up to everyone's aesthetic. Uh, you need certainly a printer and most likely a scanner. Yes. I had the bad idea to buy one that was not Wi-Fi compatible. I think it's when you buy one, you should make sure that uh, take Wi-Fi compatible. Probably around 110. Uh, I would advise probably to use a laser printer because uh, especially if you don't print a lot, the toner is not going to get dry as much as a, a liquid ink is going to get uh, dry. Need a coat hanger? Yeah, $40. Mm-hmm. I bought an end table, which I find very practical that I put yes. next to uh, my patient's chair. Yep. Is it something you guys use? Yes. Yeah. You know, they will bring coffee, they will bring water, you know. Um, as a footnote, I had a, a supervisor who said, yeah, patients do that nowadays. In the olden days, you would not bring water or coffee. Oh. No. But it's what patients do. I guess they do that too where you work, Tanil. Yeah. They bring their coffee and their water. <clears throat> yeah. It's not just a New York thing. No. Oh. So you need trash cans. I actually ended up with three trash cans. One for my desk, one for people who sit on a chair, and one for people who lie down on the couch. Mm -hmm. That's not a big expense. Edgar has something to say about the lights. Well, what I don't have anything much to say except that I wanted to create some ambiance in the office. There are fluorescent lights in this office, which is not unheard in commercial spaces, but I don't like fluorescent lights. So I can turn off the fluorescent lights, but I have then other lamps around the office that provide enough lighting, but it's not overwhelming. It's about my taste more than anything. That can go pretty high pretty quickly very quickly and other people you know they are fine with the fluorescent lights plus the um, uh, sunlight that you have through your windows and that's absolutely fine it would be less costly i think i'm using the lamp that you left from your oh. previous office okay <laughs> and so i think talking about it, recycling I, yeah well I, I love that and i think <laughs> it was probably like 20 bucks or something <laughs> <laughs> yes probably <laughs> When you moved office, you <laughs> changed your budget line. Uh, yeah, I changed my my taste. Maybe <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't know what I changed. Daniel, any idea? Any thoughts about lights? I had to pay money to have my light changed because I had fluorescent, and I had can lights installed that are dim, like you can dim them. I put them in three different sections to make mood lighting, and then I also have some floor lamps 
which I find kind of create a warmth that, so I was also like Edgar, like I hated the fluorescent. I ha- and my patients hated it too, kind of gave some of them a headache and, and it was hard for me to be under those lights all day. So this has made a huge difference to me and I'm sure it creates a more warm environment for my patients. But I, I started with fluorescence and so I had to hire somebody to install some can lighting. You also need a computer and probably a laptop around 700 bucks or more. I'm going to be a little nerdy here, but in terms of laptop, I would really recommend people to take into consideration a matte screen because it will be less aggressive to your eyes, even if the picture will be less flashy, less um, eye candy, I think, as we say. A matte screen, I believe, is the best way to go. I would advise people to get an external webcam, especially the Logitech. I think it's C920, the best um, that you can get. I'm using a light ring, which I find very practical. I look always the same to my patient, no matter the weather outside. Uh-huh. I'm going a little fast because we don't have much time. You need a headset. At first, I was just using the speaker from the computer, but I found that having a headset is much better. And I would actually, that's me, but uh, recommend something that's noise reduction so that you don't have to push the sound uh, too high in your ears. I really encourage people to get also a high quality headset and a wired headset. Why? Because a noise cancelling headset is going to help you protect your ears, which you absolutely need to keep on working in our line of work. Because as we are working increasingly through phone and through video, the sound is especially important to hear the nuance in our patients' voices. When you are using Zoom, you are already losing some of it. And because Zoom or Skype or whatever, because of the sound compression, you don't get what we call looseless sound. You get compressed sound and you are losing nuances. If you add to that Bluetooth from your computer to your headset, you are adding an additional layer of compression. It's too bad. You really want to have the most nuanced that you can. Also, if you can have a good mic, that's for the best because it is going to allow your patient to access more nuance in your voice. And that is going to be part of the containment. Is it easy? I don't think it's easy to have a good mic because usually we use the mic that come with the headset, but at least try to get a good headset for you to be able to hear your patient in the best way possible high-quality headset, noise-canceling, and wired headset. You need plants, you need humidifier, around 40 bucks. Edgar, you mentioned when we were preparing an air purifier also. Mm-hmm. If, especially if you are in a smaller space. I think that's connected a little bit to a fantasy, that the air, air will be better quality, but that does not take away the possibility of being infected with COVID for example. Let's talk about the insurance. So in New York, you need, and I'm guessing in Missouri too, like you need insurance, professional liability coverage and commercial general liability. 
So I just renewed mine, so I can tell you that at least the one I'm using, what is it, CPH, they charge 365 if you work under 24 hours a week and 476 if you work over it. Do you have a sense of the fees where you work, Tania? I use like a, can't remember what it's like, hospital providers organization, HSPO, I think is what the acronym is. And it's one of those collectives. So everybody pays into it. And so I pay, I think, I think close to $200 a year for my liability insurance and professional insurance, which is a really good deal. And so you need to have that before you start practicing. Yes. Yes. You also need to pay the license fee. I think it's every three years. So in New York, uh, last time I paid, it was 241 I pay for my New York license still, my licenses in New York. I just keep them up. And then I also have a license in Missouri, which only costs me $40 every two years. Whoa. Um, I'm also licensed in Arkansas, which is like 300 I think, every two years. So I, oh, it kind of difference. varies. Yeah, there's a big difference between New York, Arkansas, and Missouri. So you will also need to pay for continued education that uh, will depend on uh, where you work. I would strongly advise for people to subscribe to Psychology Today because that's really the go-to. We've talked about that in a prior podcast. And so the question of arts, like how you decorate your office, Edgar, you have some thoughts about it. Again, I wanted to create a certain ambience. So the, the colors are soft colors, there are geometric patterns and there are some, they have desert colors and shapes. So they tend to be neutral, but people see what they see, you know, but there are no human figures. I have the standard edition of Freud's work. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, I have also a painting and I like the painting. It says, all received information will be stored for future processing. <laughs> and I thought that it was so Freudian. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> all information will be stored for future processing. So in terms of creating the space that I wanted, so I have the standard edition. And, and on that wall, I have also that painting with that written that in the, in the painting. Yeah. And arts, if you start buying that, it can go high uh, pretty quickly. You can quickly. go in, in New York City, oh, yeah. it can go very high. Or maybe everywhere. Everywhere. Yes. I, I spend a lot of money on art just because I love mm -hmm. it. And I'm an art therapist, so I have to have art in my office. You have I, to have mm -hmm. I have to. That's what I tell mm -hmm. tell myself when I'm <laughs> buying it. <laughs> really, it's an addiction for me. But, yeah. <laughs> So, Tineal, what about practice management software? Um, yeah, like I found after writing notes by hand for a few years that I really would like something digital so that I'm not keeping huge files. And so I went with a, a practice management system, which costs about $40 a month. But it depends on your patient load. It can be less or more than that. You know, you can do progress notes in there. You can track your scheduling. You can do billing. There's all kinds of things that you can use it for. And I really enjoy it. And it, it kind of keeps you to the clinical medical model standard that is expected through insurance companies. 
because it's set up in that way, which is kind of onerous for a psychoanalyst for a lot of us. But it is nice to have that formatting and follow that that uh, the prompts that they give you. And you mentioned something about a security system. For me, because my office is isolated, it's not the same in New York where probably there are people sharing a waiting room with you or, you know, people are walking around all times of the day. I have a a security system in my office that when somebody comes in my door, you know, it's motion detected. And I also have a panic button because a lot of times I'm in the office alone at night. So I do pay for that. And that costs about, I'd say, $50 to $60 a month to have those services. But I don't know that everybody needs those. No, but it's good to have that in mind for people who work in more isolated places. It's just good for me because I if I can be here alone a lot and it just gives me a sense of security and it reminds me that many of the buildings in New York City we have someone of security in the in the lobby. I guess that would be the equivalent. They monitor who comes into the building. The suite where my office is located to enter here you need a code and, and therefore it's more difficult for someone who is who doesn't have to be here to enter this suite. So that's that's connected to security as well. Now, New York City, I find that there is a tendency to exaggerate security. No. For, for obvious reasons, I really? guess. Uh, <laughs> and not so obvious. <laughs> the suite I am, there's a code to enter the suite. There are codes for patients to enter the restrooms. There's a code to mm-hmm. enter the private restroom. There are codes to get <laughs> the key, the, the, the keys. If you forget your keys and you need a key to enter your office, there's a code to get. <laughs> so there are codes everywhere. And there is security 24 hours, seven days a week in this particular building. Yeah. So, and those are things you can take into consideration. Absolutely. You will pay for that, of course. That would increase your rent. That may increase or the monthly fees that you pay. In Tenil's case, the security system, the panic button. Yeah. There's one thing, Edgar, I want to bring up that we forgot to mention. Mm -hmm. Or I should say, we didn't forget. Now that you've listened to the podcast, you might have sensed that at the end we went a little faster because the clock was ticking. (laughs) Yeah. And there's one thing I realized, I would say it changed my life. It would be a bit of an exaggeration, but it was significant improvement in my daily life. Is Mm -hmm. that I bought boxes okay why (laughs) buying boxes would be such a significant step in my life because i realized that if i arrived early enough i could change in the office meaning that i leave home dressed casually i change in the office i change Mm -hmm. my shoes in the office Mm -hmm. and when i leave the office i change and i come back home with my casual clothes Mm -hmm. and that is I found a big stress reliever Mm -hmm. because you don't have to worry to get stained in the subway or in the streets 
you can walk with comfortable shoes. Yes. It was a game changer. So I do keep my working clothes in the office and I have a box under one of the shelves where I put mm -hmm. them. Yeah. Maybe this sounds like strange to some of members of the audience, but in New York City, it wouldn't be surprising to find some people carrying their shoes in a bag, their office shoes, uh, and they walk using tennis shoes or more comfortable shoes. So it's not unusual to change. And I want to say, if it is unusual, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's my political statement and, and, of the day. <laughs> and and the, the, well, having your own private office allows you to do this. So it's another way of thinking, do you want a part-time office or do you want a full-time office? There will be a space for your things if you are in a part-time office. So all of this is connected. Yeah. Anyway... I guess this is it for today. And if you like the podcast, as always, give us five stars. If you didn't, you know what to do. <laughs> and <don't> do. <laughs> do something else. Uh -huh. <laughs> and yeah, that's it. See you guys next month. Until then. Bye. Bye-bye.